welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Pastor Jamie Tasker for his message. Well, tonight we continue on with our Theology 101 series and our topic is one that really plays a major role heading into the New Testament and I think it's something that's so pertinent to us here today. Today we are going to look at the, the topic of ecclesiology, the theology of ecclesiology. Can someone tell me how to spell it? Ecclesi, well, that looks like a K, but it's actually an E. Ecclesiology, that's right. This is going to be a great night, I can tell. And it comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Now, I'm going to try and do something a bit out of the norm. I'm going to try and write this down in the Greek. All right, so bear with me. Excuse me. And then Pastor Ben can come and correct it afterwards. There we go. So how does that look, Pastor Ben? We're there? Pretty good. So we're looking tonight at ecclesiology, okay? We're looking at... Remember whenever, whenever we see the word ology, the suffix ology, what does that mean? To study. Yes. All right, I need a different pen here. And then, so we're study. What does ecclesio mean? To be called out. That's very cool. To be called out. Or you see it also to be called together. It's like an, an assembly. And we see the word used 114 times in the New Testament. We also see the word ecclesia used in the term for citizens, as in Acts 19.39, in Israel, as Israel, as Acts, sorry, 7.38, as a mob, calling the mob out, calling out the mob. Have we got a mob here tonight? Acts 19, 39 and 41. But also it's more predominantly known for the church. And the church, the calling out of the church is a predominant usage of this terminology. Do you know you were called out? It's a pretty powerful thought when you stop and think about it. The God who created the universe, the God who spoke dead things into life, the God who breathed things came to life, the God who spoke stars were formed, he calls you out. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that, but it's quite a powerful thought when you realize that the creator of the heavens and the earth calls you. He calls you by name. He calls you out. Ecclesia, it's one of my favorite topics and my prayer that tonight as you listen, as you hear from God, you will go away with a deeper love, a deeper appreciation, not only for who God is, but also for his church. We have half an hour to 
cover this rather large topic and I just want to say you guys are in trouble because I have so much to say in such a little period of time with such a huge topic at hand. But we're going to do our best. And uh, I want some of your interaction, as we have done over the past few weeks. I don't want this just to be me talking. I want you to talk back to me at the appropriate time. Okay, Dave? And you too. But, you know, with everything, there's a... Everything that is to be built, there has to be a foundation. And not just any foundation, but a, a strong foundation. I just want to take a quick look back through the Bible and create a bit of a foundation where we come up to this point where we learn about... This here, well, Ecclesia, the church. You know, I've heard it said that people have said that the church is the people of the Bible. But if you have that analogy, if you have that viewpoint, you really need to put an asterisk on that because whenever you look at the table of contents in the Bible, it doesn't mention the word church. You see, in Genesis chapters 1 to 11, we see God's universal act with all of man. You see the creation of the universe. We see Adam, the first man. We see the pre-flood world. We see the judgment with the flood all over the world. You then see the Tower of Babel and then all of the nations going out through the world. Then in Genesis 1 to 11... It's not about Israel per se. It's about the, the universality of man. <coughs> Excuse me. Then in chapter 12, you, you start to see the nation of God raise up. We start to see the truth go out to the world. The one through whom the seed will come by which the nations will be blessed. We hear about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and they form a nation. And what's the name of that nation? Israel. Israel, the, the, called, the called nation of truth. And from Genesis 12 on, you see not the church, you see the nation of Israel. You see their origin, their fathers of the nation in Genesis. You see in Exodus where they're taken out of Egypt as they're becoming a great nation. Then comes Leviticus, and we quit reading our Bible. <laughs> Because we get tied up in all the genealogies. I hope you don't do that. But they're going to God, but not on a basis of their righteousness, but on the basis of a sacrifice from that of one of a high priest where we have the shedding of blood. And they put their faith in this process in order for God to take away their sins. Then we see them chased into the wilderness in the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy, we see the conquest in uh, Joshua. We see 350 years of rebellion in the book of Judges as they go after other gods. Then God, he, he raises up a, a monarchy from Saul, then David. We see that in 1 and 2 Samuel. We then see this divide in the, the kingdom with the north and the south of Israel. We see judgment come upon them. We then again, we, we see them. Released in the times of Nehemiah. Then we come to the end of the Old Testament. Your Old Testament, it's predominantly going to be the, the nation that is going to be the blessing to the world through Israel. But we don't see anything at this point about a church as yet. 
We see it anticipated, we see it prophesied, we see it typified, we, but we still don't know what it is because it's kind of vague. It's referred to as a mystery. And then you get to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and we see here comes our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And he, he's being rejected and then he declares, he makes this statement where on this rock I will build my church. What will he build? His church. It's the first mention of what? The church. When you stop and think about it, it's mentioned in a term of a future tense. It hasn't yet happened. It's something which is going to happen, something which is going to come. He's declaring, I'll do a new thing. I will build a new work, not on Israel, but on people from Israel. I don't know if you've ever had this thought before. You go to the book of Acts and you see the phenomena of the church. I like what Dave declared last week. They went from a group of a handful of believers to 3,000 believers in an instant. Just imagine the amount of water they would have required to baptize 3,000 people. It's a pretty outstanding thing. A miracle was taking shape right before their eyes. Imagine all the... I won't go there. The last one in. I tell you, that would look good on all our weekly reports as we reported back with the good things that had happened over the past weekend. 3,000 people being saved. Those who are called out from Israel to form the church. The Ek Kaleo. In Acts 1 to 9, you, you see they're all Jews. Chapters 10 You then have Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Chapter 11, you have this revival which takes place at Antioch of Syria. And once again, it's Gentile land. Chapter 13, we see Saul of Tarsus. He's sent out to be a witness to the Gentiles. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, you've gone to Antioch, to Syria, to the Galatian regions, to Cyprus, to Greece, to Asia Minor. And the book of Acts, it ends in Italy. It ends in a particular city. Do we know what the name of that city is? It ends in Rome. We're in Rome. All of a sudden, if you're reading your Bible, you'll see that Jesus came for the Jew first. It was Jew, Jew, Jew. And then all of a sudden, it changed to Gentile. Jesus came for the Jew. Jesus also came for the Gentile. Something happens, we're amongst Gentiles, we're in Rome, we're in Corinth, we're in Ephesus. You see, Ephesus, it's the centre of the goddess Diana, the moon goddess. You're in Thessalonica, which they worship Venus. You're in Gentile land, it was odd, it was all Jewish, and all of a sudden, it opened up to all people. It all of a sudden became welcoming for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Then all of a sudden we find there's a group of people called the church. It's pretty powerful. We're going we're going down this sorry. Froggy me through it. God, he took the person of Christ. He gave him to a remnant of Israel. 
And then the people from the Gentiles, and they came together and they formed this Ekkaleo. Those who were called out from the world. Then if we skip through our Bible a bit further on, we get to Revelation and we see they all disappear. We read they disappear. Revelation 4, it says, we see God says, come up here and they're all gone. They've been raptured. All of a sudden, the, the tribulation begins, and from Revelation verses 6 to 19, you, you never see a word mentioned again. We don't see the word church mentioned again. They're not here. They're all in glory. We're talking about a future tense when Jesus returns. At Kaleo. But you know who is the focus in Revelation 6 to 19? It's Israel. Once again, God has taken them and he's put them back in focus. Then in chapter 19, God, he appears and his bride appears with him. We come back with him and God, the mission that he set out to begin, will complete the mission that he had from the beginning. My God will always complete the mission, the word that he places, that he speaks out over you, over your life over mankind it's who he is he is faithful we are the people who are called to carry out the purpose of Israel we are the people who are born out of that open tomb to go and proclaim the gospel to the world you're the ek kaleo we're to be called out we're to carry out our purpose to, uh, of Jesus to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the outermost parts of life. You and I are called to spread out into Rome, into Asia. God spread out and he came across even to Australia and to that foreign land, New Zealand. <laughs> the church... There is one supreme God who calls us, who sanctifies us, and who sends us. You're a part of this. It's not exclusive. So who are these people who all of a sudden appear in Matthew 16 when Jesus declares, On this rock I will build my church. That go throughout the end of the Old Testament and are gone and return with Christ to rule with him. Who are these people who infect the world with the truth? Who are these guys? The people, I believe, are called you. Can you see why it's so important that we need to understand ecclesiology and have an understanding of who the church is, what the church's mandate is, and what role you and I play in this? Now, I think this happens to be one of the most controversial doctrines that we can find in today's society. You see, if you look back over history throughout the last 20 years, there's been a controversy around systematic theology where different challenges have come up and each one have had their day. For instance, through the first three centuries, the major issue was bibliology. You have the Old Testament... We have the Torah, the Word of God, and then all of a sudden you have Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John come onto the scene, and the question was bibliology. Was this word right? Is this the inspired Word of God? Then it was Christology over the 4th and 5th centuries. And in 325, remember we talked on Christology a few years, uh, few years ago, a few weeks ago, 
we looked at the challenges that were presented around uh, Nicaea, and many, there were many councils and debates, and as a result, we now have the Nicaean Creed from that. Then we see it was about salvation, man and sin. Then you have the Middle Ages, around the 4th century church, that they get involved in politics, and all of a sudden it went downhill. In the 1400s, it was bad. It was referred to as the Dark Ages. You know, the church came to God through a priest and not through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray we never fall in the same trap ourselves. God's an intimate God. He's a personal God. He wants to have that relationship with you directly. The 1500s, we needed a reformation. We were all priests, it was declared. In the 18th and 19th century, it was once again, bibliology is a major doctrinal debate. And then late in the 1900s to the 20th century, there was this Wesleyan controversy that you could receive a second blessing if you didn't sin anymore. That become the holiness movement. We then had the challenge of pneumatology became the major theological debate. Then in the last part of the 20th century, something happened. We see a nation reformed. We see a nation being built. Can anyone tell me what that nation is? Israel. So all of a sudden, the word of God, the eschatology, the end times start coming alive again. It brought about a debate that the fulfillment of the church would now be fulfilled and outworked through Israel. Eschatology came into focus. You see, ever since the church has begun, different doctrinal ideas took front stage. I think today one of the challenges we face is this idea of ecclesiology. We live in a rise of secularism. We see today that we have outside cultures prevailing and we, in our faith, we can seem like Martians in this foreign world, <laughs> believing in what we do, because we interpret it that everything is from God. The universe, the man, right and wrong is from God. Salvation is an act from God. But in a time of uncertainty, I really believe this is a time where we, where you and I, the church, are called to shine. We're called to shine. We're called to Ek kaleo, to be called out into our community. So I ask you, what is the church? I read a quote today. It said, the church is a distinctive form of human life in a relationship with God and others, centered on the reconciling love of God in Christ and empowered by the Spirit for service. The ecclesia is human life in process or reformation and renewal. The local church is hope to the world. The local church is hope to the world, my friends. The church is the revealing of what was known as the mystery of the Old Testament. Ephesians 1, to 23, it refers to Christ as the head of the church. And he likens you and I as the body, and we're different gifts, we function in different parts of the body. So who is it? Who are these people who are called specifically? 
If I was to ask you, what would you say the church is? What would your response be to me? Someone tell me, what is the church? So it's born again. Yeah. Gathering. Gathering of believers. Anyone else? We are. (laughs) We are. Any other thoughts? So I think the church is represented in two main forms. The first ones, we see it is universally. And the second one is locally. It's in Matthew 16, verse 18. We read that uh, all believers are a member of the one body of Christ. The church is universal. Can everyone put your hand up for me? Let's do a little exercise. And when I tell you, well, when I mention your country, or maybe you could sing out your country to me, why don't you put your hand down? Is anyone here who's from Australia, put your hand down. Awesome. Anyone here from India, put your hand down. Anyone here from Africa, put your hand down. Anyone here from the United States, put your hand down. Anyone from Samoa? Awesome. From Korea? Philippines? Tongan? My apologies. Where are you from, my brother? Where are you from? New Zealand. Anyone else who I haven't mentioned? Where are you guys from? Indonesia. Oh, very good. Apologies about the New Zealand joke earlier on. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that you and I can be a part of this living, breathing organism, the church, where universally we may have different languages, but we have one thing in common. I recall a few years ago having the privilege of going to some of our Asian countries and preaching in some churches there. And one of them was Indonesia. And so preaching with an interpreter, I couldn't understand a lot of the language. But when we worshipped, when we prayed, you could sense the same presence, the same God was there as he is right here in Central Australia. Our God is a universal God. The church is universal. The universal church is fantastic. But when you look at the local church, the word ecclesia, it's used the most times referring to the local church. The local church is where we mostly meet. Here in Alice Springs, we have around 10 odd churches that meet locally. You see, when you are saved... As in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you're a member of the universal church. The universal church, it began at Pentecost and it will end the day of rapture when Jesus comes again for his bride. The church, it continues on forever then in heaven with him. This time we have here on earth is short really. And you and I are really called to bring heaven down here on earth. 
So when did the universal church begin? Well, I gave it away before. Day of Pentecost. So how do we know this? Well, Jesus, he gave the first hint in Matthew when he declares, I will build my church on this what? Rock. Who's the rock? Jesus will build its future tents. And in Acts 1, we see the disciples were asking, when will you you'll establish your kingdom here on earth, Lord? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. But then he tells them to wait, because in many days you will be baptized with the what? Holy Spirit. That's right. So they wait in Acts 1, and then in Acts 2 they're baptized, and some 3,000 people get saved, and we see the formation, the start of the church being born here on earth. It would have been exciting times. It's exciting times to live in now. Acts 11, it points back to Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They realized they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For by one Spirit we've all been baptized into one body. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1, I'm so pleased we're doing a series on Colossians. It speaks about the church. And I want to encourage you, whatever you do, make sure you're in church over these next five, six weeks. Come not just ready to hear, but come ready to give. Amen? The church begins with the day of Pentecost and from then on, where neither Jew nor Gentile, we are one with Christ. You're now one, one in body, one with Christ. It's a powerful thought, a powerful action when you think about it. We are one and we are many. And for all the lands on earth we come. But when you think about the nature of the church, there's a bit of a paradox because the church is a divine organism created by God himself and on the other hand we also see it as a human organization that the church it's divine what is the church it's divine my writing is pretty average tonight at least it's not my artwork like a few weeks ago you two don't need to laugh about it in that, it's the work of God himself. Jesus promised he will build his church and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. It's divine. The church is gathered as God's people, as God brings his people together. And it's the only way to become a part of the church is God bringing you and I. It's divine. But there's also this human institution. I love the, the, this element of it because we have so many of you guys here who are volunteers in part of God's kingdom here in Alice Springs on the local church. We're so thankful for you. Thank you for serving and doing what you do. There's human leadership. We see government. We see forms of government in the church. We have different styles of leadership. There's Episcopalianism, there's Presbyterianism, there's Congregationalism. We have offices of the church where there's pastors, elders, bishops. And we see these terms are used interchangeably. We have deacons, we have deaconesses, depending on which denomination you're from, given to assist those in positions of leadership. The nature of the church, it's universal. It relates to all believers in Christ. The local church, it's many expressions of the universal church all over the world, no matter where you are. So what are some marks of the church? 
you're here tonight, what would you say are sound biblical um, evidences or elements that exist in the church? Give me an example. Forgiveness. I won't write it down because it'll take a while. Give me another one. Forgiveness is cool. I think the Nicene Creed, it gives us a good start. It talks about being one. One in unity, one with God. It talks about being holy. It also mentions the word universal. We see apostolic come up. It comes from and is faithful to the doctrine of the apostles. A church that preaches the word thoroughly, administers the sacraments, that exercises church discipline, and not from a position of putting someone down, but from restoration to help bring them back up so that they can fulfill the plan, the calling that God has on their life. What are some other illustrations that you could give me tonight? Grace. That's a beautiful one. Iron sharpening iron. What about fellowship? What about worship? We had it before. What about preaching the word? Coffee. Hospitality. I'll take that. Any others? Prayer. Serving. Serving is a good one. Witness. We're called to be a witness. So my question for you is then, what should the church do? Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. They say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on to these two commandments. So what was the first one we heard? Love God. love God. We worship and we esteem him. We love him personally. We worship him personally, but we also do it privately. What was the second one? Love. Love. Love people. Oops. We build one another up in fellowship. What was the third one? Love your neighbour. <laughs> in other words, we reach out the world. So how can we do this? We do this through service. We do this through love. We do this through charity. What does the Bible say you and I are called to be? Salt and light. So really, I think that one of the primary mission of the church is discipleship. Going, baptizing, teaching, and equipping. So the ministry, acts of the church, what else do we do? We baptize people love that on Sunday we've got people who on this very stage are going to be taking that step of baptism as they make that public stand 
before you, before God. It's a physical act, but it also has spiritual ramifications that go ahead with it as well. It's a pretty powerful thing. Can I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized yet, come and see me after the service. I'd love to be a part of seeing you get baptized this coming Sunday. If not, we'll put your name down for the next one. Communion. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, sorry, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Communion, we partake in it. It may seem like an ordinary meal, but once again, the meaning go far beyond eating that small bit of cracker that we use and the bit of grape juice we drink. It's the fulfillment of the old covenant where Jesus also says, I'm coming again. It reminds us of the price that our Lord, our Savior paid for you and I so that we can live in freedom, so that we can gather as the ecclesia. So a church gathers together, the church also scatters. Salt and light, Matthew five thirteen to 16. We also read in Colossians 1 that God calls you and I to be agents of change. Your job is not your calling, your job is your occupation. Our calling is to go and make disciples. So the God who calls you out... He calls you. He anoints you. He places his hand upon you. He places gifts. He places talents within you. And he sends you out to be part of his kingdom here on earth. It's a pretty powerful thought when you think about it. That he trusts us. I was thinking about this today and I thought he trusts me with all my flaws, with all my failures, all my insecurities. And he says, Jamie, I believe in you. Go and make disciples. So what is ecclesiology? It's the study of the church where we're called out to love God, love people, and love one another. I've got that order mixed up. Why don't we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you called us, you've chosen us, and Lord, you believe in us. Father, I pray you give us a deeper understanding of your word, that we may go and make disciples. Give us a deeper appreciation of the love you have for us. I pray you give us a deeper appreciation of your church. Lord, give us a deeper appreciation of others. Help us to disciple others, to love one another, to forgive one another, and to grow together with one another. And I pray your blessing upon each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, bless you guys. I want to encourage you to go and open your Bible. I know we didn't really get into too much scriptures, but go and open it. Look at some of the scriptures I rattled off tonight. Pray God speaks to you for this weekend. The cafe is open. Go and get a tea, coffee, whatever else is available for purchase in there. 
And uh, have a great weekend. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday where we'll have a great uh, day together corporately and uh, baptisms will be taking place. So have a good weekend. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.